morning. Um, this morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 50. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body, as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Thanks very much, Jenny. Well, when we're talking about the resurrection from the dead and end times, that sort of thing, we're talking about things we find difficult to understand and, frankly, at times, difficult to believe. So let me pray for God's help. Lord God, we confess our weakness. We confess that we're so uh, distracted by everyday life and sometimes our scientific way of thinking that we fail to believe the truths from your word and we fail to really grasp them in our hearts. So I pray for your help this morning. Please open up your word to us and give us joy in the future you have prepared for your people. Amen. Well, today is the last sermon in our short series on the resurrection. And I hope you've seen, excuse me, that when we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about two things. We're talking about Christ rising from the dead and we're also talking about the resurrection of the dead, um, of all the dead. Everyone who has ever died will rise when Christ returns. We call that the general resurrection from the dead. And it's that general resurrection, well, both really, that changes everything. As Bernard said last week, it changes our priorities. As Christians, we look forward to eternal life in a transformed body, not just as a soul or a spirit, detached from our bodies, but in a body. 
but it will be transformed, and it's that transformation that we'll be looking at this morning. So if you wanted to summarize our reading in four words, it would be these words. We will be changed. At the end of this world, when Christ returns, our bodies will be raised from the dead. If we've died at that point, Christ might return today, and we won't have died yet. But whether we are resurrected or already alive, we will be changed. Verse 51 of our reading. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Let me say two quick things about that. The first is already on the screen. Firstly, we will be changed. We can't change ourselves. This is a work of God. So today, I'm not talking about self-improvement. I'm talking about the day when God completes his work of salvation in us. Everything he started, everything we look forward to is complete, and we are transformed. So our response to that should be to say, thank you, God, for that day. Verse 57, Paul says, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be changed. This is a passive thing. Secondly, we will be changed. We is not everyone. There is an in-group and there is an out-group. The in-group is described in the first paragraph of this letter to the Corinthians. Paul says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Jesus must be your Lord. If Jesus is not your Lord, you'll still be raised from the dead at the end of time, but you won't be transformed in the way we're talking about this morning. Listen to what Jesus said. This is Jesus' words from John 5. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear the Son of God's voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Everyone will rise from the dead at the end of time. And some will rise to eternal life and be transformed, but some will only rise to face judgment and be condemned. So, what do you need to do to get in the in crowd and avoid being condemned? Well, believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Here it is in Jesus' own words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Make sure you've taken that simple step of faith so that you can be transformed at the end of time and enjoy eternal life to come. 
Finally, okay, we get on to the transformation now. We will be changed, which I'm going to break down a bit more, starting with change is needed. Our bodies are pretty good, but they wear out. They're not suitable for our eternal home. Verse 51, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We need to be changed. One of the ways Paul makes this point is with a couple of illustrations from nature. He says, you sow a seed, but it doesn't stay looking like a seed. It's transformed into a plant. Verse 37, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. When you are raised from the dead, it will be you. But you will be as different as a plant is different from a seed. And then Paul says, look how God has given suitable bodies to all sorts of things. How could he not give you a body that is suitable for your eternal home? Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. Look at the, different, the way these different bodies are just perfect for their habitats. Aren't you glad that the sun doesn't look like a fish? <laughs> when we will be raised from the dead, we will be transformed to be perfect for our heavenly home. God wants us to learn from nature. Um, now, I realize I'm talking to a few scientists in the room, and scientifically, yes, God wants us to learn from nature. But sometimes... Just from our everyday experience, leave your science behind for a moment. If you looked at the back of my garden two months ago, you'd have seen a dead tree, nothing but sticks, gray and lifeless. If you look at it now, it's covered in amazing white blossom. It has vibrant green leaves everywhere. The whole tree has been transformed. Now, I know it wasn't really dead in the same way that when you sow a seed, it doesn't actually die in the dirt. Biologically, these things are still alive. But I'm talking about everyday experience. The tree looked dead, and now it's sprung into life. So as you see these incredible trees around us, as you're driving home, maybe, or walking home, as you see these trees bursting out into color and life and vibrance and richness, each spring, God wants us to think to ourselves, that is a picture of what God will do for me one day. We will be changed. So don't be afraid of death. Life and death are just winter trees waiting for the spring. And what a spring it will be for us when Christ returns. So what will our resurrection bodies be like? Here are four changes we'll experience. Verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. 
It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, I want to concentrate on what it means by a spiritual body. I think that's the thing we'll find most confusing. But let me say something quickly about those first three changes. First of all, imperishable. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It will never perish. We won't wear out or grow old, as Sarah was talking about in our all-age slot. There will be no more aches or breaks. This is the end of death. Verse 53, the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Those of you who are older in the congregation, let me encourage you to live in victory and joy, knowing that death has no sting for you. You will be raised imperishable and glorious. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Right now, we live in dishonor for all sorts of reasons. We've done things we're ashamed of. We face criticism from other people, and sometimes that's unjustified. But it still comes with a kind of dishonor to be criticized. We feel we let people down. We get overwhelmed by circumstances. We live in dishonor. In contrast, glory is victory. Probably uh, the best illustration of this I can think of is if you're into sports or athletics, it's the glory of having just one gold and the stadium around you sees that. Or being on the winning team and the stadium around you erupts in joy. It's that glory. That is being victorious, being in your prime, being a source of admiration and awe. That is part of God's gift to us. Some of you may be thinking, really? But Christ actually says, talks about us sharing in his glory. We don't regain our honor by somehow vindicating ourselves. We are transformed to be glorious when Christ returns. That's part of God's gift to us. Thirdly, powerful. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. We'll have the power of eternal life. That means no more aging. We'll have the power to see God's face. No more doubts and fears. We'll have the power to be holy. No more giving in to temptation and messing up. Here's one for the kids, if there are any in the room. We'll have the power to live truly authentic lives. No more masks. No more imposter syndrome. No more conflicting desires. We'll feel completely fulfilled and flourish by God's grace. That's what it means to be raised in power. Now let's look at the most obscure one. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, Paul knows that we don't know what a spiritual body is, so he then uses the next few verses to explain what he means, verses 45 to 49, if you've got your Bible there. But basically, he compares normal, earthly humanity, represented by Adam, as in Adam and Eve, and the new spiritual or heavenly humanity, represented by the risen Jesus. And he says, We've experienced the normal humanity. We're quite familiar with that. 
And we will experience the new heavenly humanity like the risen Jesus. We will be like him. So verse 49 sums it up. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. And if anyone's taking notes, then you could also write down Philippians 3, 20 to 21, and 1 John 3, verse 2, which say exactly the same thing. We will be like the risen Jesus. So to know what a spiritual body will be like, we need to know what the risen Jesus is like. So here are a few facts we know about him. First of all, he looks human. In John's gospel, Mary saw Jesus and she thought he was the gardener. Now, I've seen a few gardeners in my time and I haven't noticed anything particularly paranormal about them or extraterrestrial. They seem like fairly normal people to me. So Jesus looked normal. And Luke records that two disciples walked with the risen Jesus all the way from Jerusalem to Emmaus and didn't even notice that it was him. So he obviously looked quite normal. Jesus looked normal. He felt normal. Uh, after his resurrection, some, the women worshipped him by grabbing his feet. And they didn't sort of miss and go through him. They were able to hold him. John tells us that Jesus invited the apostle Thomas to touch the wounds in his hands and his side. It's interesting. I don't know if that means that our, our wounds will be carried forward into the new creation. I assume not. I assume that Christ's wounds were unique. And so in the new creation, we won't have our wounds, but he will, to remind us. He felt human. And the point is, he felt human. He felt tangible because he was and is human. He could eat like a human. He ate with his disciples. He cooked like a human. There's one time where he hosts a barbecue for his disciples on the beach. And the point of all those four things is that he looked, felt, ate, and cooked like a normal human being because he is a normal human being. To be spiritual doesn't mean being like a ghost. It must mean something else. And so this is where we get onto the things about the risen Jesus that were a bit more unusual. Fifthly, he could appear and disappear. He appeared out of thin air to his disciples, including a time when they were behind a locked door, and uh, then he disappeared into thin air. Maybe... In today's language, we'd call him multidimensional. I don't know. Maybe that's us pretending we're clever and not really understanding what's going on here. I don't know. That's what he did. And finally, Jesus ascended into heaven from earth on at least a couple of occasions. One of those occasions was the time when he finally went back before he will one day return in the future. And I think that last one is the absolute key to what it means to have a spiritual body. It means we are equally at home in heaven with God and on earth. Currently, we're not. I don't know if you've ever tried to reach heaven. Don't try it, because <laughs> we can't get there except by one way, and you can't do that to yourself, or you shouldn't do that to yourself. We can't do what Christ did and move effortlessly between heaven and earth. But the risen Jesus could. We could also say that things that were true of Jesus before his resurrection will be true of our resurrection body. For example, what we want in the new creation will completely align with God's will. Mysteriously, we will have both complete free will and the complete inability to sin. We will be changed. So let me finish with what this means for us now. 
I've already mentioned, firstly, don't fear death. There are better things ahead, better than this life, much better. So don't fear death. If you're approaching death, then memorize 1 Corinthians 15 and Revelation 21. (laughs) Two passages to memorize as we approach death. Secondly, stand firm. The first half of verse 58, I'm actually going a bit out of my passage for today. This is uh, beyond where Jenny read, but um, it's all part of the same argument that Paul's making. Paul says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Look what you've got to look forward to. The sense of the original Greek is a bit more like start standing firm because he's writing to the Corinthian church. And if you know anything about the Corinthian church, you know that they were in a mess. People were divided. They were taking each other to court. Imagine a court case going on in here. People were happy to go along to their local idol temple as well as coming to church on Sunday. They were sleeping around, even with their relatives. They were getting drunk on communion wine. Can you imagine a worse church than that? Paul says, are you Christians or not? In light of the resurrection, in light of the future God has planned for us, stand firm. But he does say, my dear brothers and sisters. He's saying this from a place of love. He's not just wagging his finger at them and pointing the finger and bashing his drum. He recognizes their faith. He loves them, but he knows they've got a long way to go. So let's examine our lives and ask ourselves, am I standing firm in light of the resurrection or just kind of drifting around? Stand firm. And finally, work hard for the Lord. Paul says, this is the second half of verse 58, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is one of the many parts of the Bible we could turn to to show why Christ Church has an every member ministry. It's not just the staff or the leaders doing ministry. It's everyone. Ordinary Christians, we all get involved. And um, Paul is writing to ordinary Christians. He's not writing to missionaries. He's not writing to church planters. In fact, he's not even writing to particularly good Christians who have got their lives sorted out before they start serving the Lord. He's writing to terrible Christians. And he says, you always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Now, the work of the Lord, we could say, is maybe three out of four points on our mission statement over there. Share the good news with people around you. Good news to share. Live a life of worship. By that, we mean don't just worship God for an hour on a Sunday morning, but every moment of every day, give thanks to God for what he's done. Live a life of worship. And finally, the last one there, be a friend who loves. Care for others in the church and outside it. Show God's love to others. Work hard for the Lord. And not because you're being forced into it, but because when you are raised from the dead, you will see the results of your hard work, and nothing of it will have been wasted. That's the heartwarming promise right at the end of our reading, and I finish with this. Go away from this place resolved to work hard for the Lord, trusting in him and standing firm every day because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's the best investment you will ever make. Let me pray.
Lord God, please help us to get excited about the future you have promised us. I pray that as we return to this chapter of your word and others like Revelation 21, you would capture our imagination so that we long to be in our eternal home. May we not be distracted by the temptations of this life and easy living, but may we stand firm in the truth and work hard for you, looking forward to reaping the fruit of that investment for your namesake and for your glory. Amen.